It's HSK Today, a weekly in-depth look at the Henderson Silver Knights and the AHL with your host, Brian McCormick. And here we go, ready for another episode of HSK Today. Brian McCormick here, you there, Jared Justice. He's on the other side of the glass as we get ready for Hockey Talk. And one hour of HSK Hockey Talk getting you set for this weekend's contest in Abbotsford, British Columbia. Hello, friends. Great to have you with us. Uh, you know, I'm going to come clean with, with you right off the bat. Because of the travel scenario, you might be thinking to yourself, well, the team plays Friday and they travel on Thursday, so how are we listening to Brian now? Let's just come clean. We pre-recorded this one. We want to make sure that we got you some HSK talk on your Thursday afternoon. So uh, did this show ahead of time and uh, gives us a chance. It's going to be a, a talk-heavy show, but there's plenty to talk about. We'll go over the opening weekend for the Henderson Silver Knights as they open the season 2-0 and for the second straight year with back-to-back wins over the Colorado Eagles. Talk a little bit about some of the uh, impressive performers such as Peyton Krebs and Daniil Miramanov. Now, of course, we can also look ahead to uh, this weekend in Abbotsford, where the Abbotsford Canucks will be playing their first home game in franchise history on Friday night. Uh, It looks like there's going to be some limitations to capacity uh, due to the COVID situation in Canada, but uh, whatever capacity they do have allowed, it's expected to be sold out. Uh, So it should be a raucous atmosphere for the return of AHL hockey to Abbotsford. Of course, Abbotsford, the former host city of the Calgary Flames affiliate, the Abbotsford Heat, uh, of which Sven Berchi was a part. We talked a little bit with Sven Berchi about his experience playing in Abbotsford, so we'll have that a little bit later on in the show and talk a bit about this roster that the Vancouver Canucks have built for the Abbotsford Canucks. It's a team that, uh, well, you can tell from their behavior over the summer, they want that team to compete right away, so we'll talk a little bit about how that's constructed. And then we'll have a little bit of fun talking about the uh, the early going of the NHL season, some fun storylines out of the gate. Uh, we'll chat about some of the early surprises, surprising teams, surprising players, and uh, some of the older guys having a better start than perhaps we would have uh, perceived heading into uh, the first couple of games of the regular season. So we'll talk about all that and more on HSK today. So to kick things off, let's talk about the opening weekend for the Henderson Silver Knights. They get two wins, and you know, it's it's kind of, I think it's kind of what you would expect uh, for the first two games for any team in the league right now, really. Uh, your, your first two games are never going to be perfect, right? They're, they're, they're not going to be structurally sound identity hockey the way you'd want it to be. There, there's going to be a little bit of looseness to it. And a lot of the players this week, you know, reflected on that and how, you know, really the the uh, the key for finding a way of, of coming out on top. And for the Silver Knights, it was a 5-4 shootout win on Friday, opening night at the Orleans Arena, and then a 6-3 win over the Eagles on uh, Sunday evening. Uh, for, for the Henderson Silver Knights, it was a matter of just trying to, to, to limit chances. And you might roll your eyes a bit when you hear that if you were at either game or followed along with either game because limiting chances doesn't sound like giving up oh I think it was 96 shots in two games you know that's not going to be the plan going forward without question but uh, as Gary Lawless alluded to a couple of times on the broadcast on Sunday he said you know sure you're giving up shots but you're giving them up from outside the dots from from 35 feet away you know there were low percentage chances uh, the, the the players for Colorado who got the high percentage chances, Kiefer Sherwood 
Uh, Alex Newhook, they were able to capitalize when they got inside the dots, but for the most part, a Silver Knights team that uh, play, and there's no excuses for playing injured. Everybody's going through something, but you know the Silver Knights playing with four defensemen on professional tryout agreements who are you know quitting themselves very well in this uh, look that they're getting early in this, this HSK season. But you know it was certainly a uh, bend don't break mentality, and the Silver Knights did just that as they kept uh, Colorado in check. And uh, if you're gonna have run and gun games, if you're gonna if it's gonna be a matter of who can outscore who. Well, putting up 10 goals, 11 if you count the shootout, uh, over two days, not bad for the Silver Knights either. And their key players were their key players. As much as you look for depth and you'd love to see everybody join the party at some point, it's also a great sign coming out of training camp. If you're if the guys you're relying on to be goal scorers are the guys who are scoring goals, you're going to be smiling. And I think the three names that you come out of the weekend talking about most – Peyton Krebs, who uh, was so good over the course of two games, and of course the the circumstances in Vegas dictating as well, uh, but he got called back up to the Vegas Golden Knights, as did Jake LeCision. Talk about both of those in just a few moments. Uh, but Peyton Krebs had a five-point weekend with five assists. Uh, Daniil Miramanov had a, a, a fantastic weekend as well, but first we'll talk about Pavel Dorofiev. Uh, three goals for Pavel Dorofiev in the first two games and in a variety of ways. He scored from below the goal line on opening night, the first goal of the season for the Silver Knights. A backhander from, again, just below the goal line and just kind of, I should say, his feet below the goal line. The puck just barely above as he lifted it under the bar from a very, very sharp angle. You can almost see the confidence uh, for Pavel Dorofiev off the ice as much as you see it on the ice. Uh, now, of course, I have the benefit. I, I get to spend more time around players than, than many of you in our listening audience do. So I can give you a little bit of perspective of what he's like. And last year, very polite, but very quiet. Even with the likes of Maxim Marashev and when Daniil Miramanov came along later in the season, fellow Russians who he spends most of his time with and, you know, they get along. Pavel Dorofiev was, it was certainly just, I think, feeling things out, getting used to playing in a new country and a new uh, style of game and with the expectations that come with being, you know, a third round pick and a player that uh, whose performance in Russia had gained a lot of attention, but this year, you know, he strikes up conversations. It just seems a little more more jovial, more relaxed, more comfortable in his own skin, and I think it's translating to the ice because we've seen Pavel Dorofiev go to the scoring areas. The goal he scored from, uh, well, I should say both goals he scored really. On Sunday, going to the front of the net, one is Maxime Marashev getting him the puck quickly after uh, Colorado goaltender Hunter Miska had gone for a bit of a walk in the park. And Dorofiev goes to the right area, gets the puck, forehand, backhand, and it's a one it's nothing Silver Knights lead. Later on in the power play, again, he's going to just a couple feet above the paint. He's in a sea of Colorado jerseys. He puts his stick down, battles for position, and and fights for space in front of the net. Uh, and, and that's, I think, we, we spent so much time last year, rightfully so, focusing on the skill element of Pavel Dorofiev and the speed and the explosiveness, and he can split defenders and, and go coast to coast, and that's, that's good. You want that, <laughs> but if, uh, if, if, if scoring highlight real goals like that or if carrying the puck 150 feet and scoring goals were easy, we'd see a lot more of it on the news every night. We just don't. There's a reason why when it happens, we marvel at it. It's because it's few and far between, and it's explosive skill, and, and you're going to catch a defender flat-footed. If you're going to score a lot of goals in the American Hockey League and beyond, it's going to be your ability to produce in dirty areas, to win physical battles inside the hash marks. 
And early on, I think we've really seen that from the dots down, Pavel Dorofiev is a much more, I'm not even going to say effective player, but a much more determined player, a much more confident player, and a savvier player. He's, he's making plays in tight because he's positioning himself right, and he's, and he's smarter to be one step ahead of the guys trying to cover him. And, and that's uh, significantly a good sign for the Silver Knights after Pavel Dorofiev scored two goals in the preseason. One preseason game for the Silver Knights against the Tucson Roadrunners, he had two goals in a period. Uh, so what we've seen from Dorofiev has been savviness, has been uh, confidence in tight, and, and the finishing touch that uh, everyone wanted to see. So Dorofiev, player number one, significant step forward. Peyton Krebs, you know, I think what was fascinating for Peyton Krebs this weekend was that he put up five points, and it wasn't overwhelmingly noticeable. And I say that not to take away from him, but Pavel, Dorf, uh, Pavel Dorofiev, you know, with the goals in tight, you, you saw the impact he was making for Peyton Krebs. It was really a matter of just putting the puck in the right place and taking advantage of offensive situations. There were a lot of power plays for both Colorado and Henderson over the weekend. Both power plays were very effective. I'm sure the Silver Knights... I know they did some penalty kill work this week, but they're they're going to want to try to beef that up just a little bit. But for Krebs, a lot of it was along the half wall, kind of quarterbacking the power play from the half wall and using the points, opening space up, opening up shooting lanes. Um, we didn't see what we have seen and what we, I'm sure, will see throughout the year. You know, the, the no-look pass or threading the needle through three sticks you know, there there was no, there there were a few instances of how did Peyton Krebs do that, and it's easier to come away from a weekend and have a how did Peyton Krebs do that story to marvel at what he does, but I almost think it's just as impressive when someone's putting up multiple points and you don't notice them. Now sometimes that's a a, a cop out, like oh so and so took two shots, it produced two rebounds, and he got two assists. Okay, that's not spectacular. That's some some puck luck and some being smart with the puck, but it's not uh, anything to write home about. For Krebs, it, it really is a matter of there's a reason why pucks go in when he's on the ice, and it's because he often does the right thing with the puck. And we saw in the in VGK preseason, and, and again, now he's with the Vegas Golden Knights again, there was a, there's at times a commentary that, you know, it looks like he's forcing it a little bit. And that's part of growing up we could say that's part of the transition going from AHL to NHL that okay you're you're trying to make things happen that aren't there but you're trying to prove that you belong you're trying to make things happen you're trying to add a little exclamation point next to your name in the box score that's that's understandable I think that's why coaches have patience with young players okay scale it back you tr- you tried a little too hard too much on that but let's simplify and then you have a game where for Krebs he's, he's getting assists but it's on setups to the point it's on setups uh, down below the goal line. It's situations where he's getting points not because of flashy plays, but because he being on the ice is prolonging possession. When he's on the ice, and he's not alone, but but you can zero in on him for the sake of this weekend. When he's on the ice, the Silver Knights have the puck. When he's on the ice, the Silver Knights have the puck in the offensive zone. When they have the puck in the offensive zone with control, and Peyton Krebs is going to be paired with someone like Sven Berchi, that's going to lead to scoring chances. So five points for Peyton Krebs, just a matter of, okay, every time there's an offensive play, he seems to be involved in it, and he's playing the puck where it needs to be. There's a lot to that. But I think for those of you, I don't have these numbers at my disposal, but I'd be curious. 
those of you who are of the advanced analytics Fenwick, Fenwick Corsi persuasion, I would be curious to see what kind of uh, numbers are generated when Peyton Krebs is on the ice because uh, he's able to make it a possession game, particularly uh, on a weekend that was so dictated by special teams but also so influenced by, uh, frankly, that Colorado outshot the Silver Knights 2-1 to one throughout the weekend. Where they're high-quality shots or not, the puck was in the Henderson end. And when Peyton Krebs was on the ice, those were the instances where they were able to tilt the sheet, have some kind of sustained presence in the offensive zone, and generate offense. So uh, Peyton Krebs with five assists. At the end of the weekend, he led the American Hockey League in scoring. Uh, If I check right now in real time, hang with me, folks. As of Thursday night, the leading, or pardon me, uh, Wednesday night, the leading scorer in the American Hockey League still is Peyton Krebs. So Peyton Krebs, who was called up to the uh, Vegas Golden Knights after the weekend, five points in two games. He's tied with TJ Tynan of the Ontario Reign, who has five assists in three games. Uh, so heck of a weekend for, for Peyton Krebs, who we'll have to keep reminding ourselves, as eager as everyone is to see him with the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, and to see what he does when he's in Henderson. This is a player who is still essentially a full-time junior player last season. So uh, he seems older than that maybe to some, or just the anticipation to see him playing pro hockey day in, day out. This is still a player who is uh, very young and has uh, much to learn, and I think the impressive thing will be how quickly he can learn it, uh, and already learning the pace of play quickly uh, at the American Hockey League level. Plenty of talk about Daniil Miramanov during the uh, preseason, and for good reason, and he showed more over the weekend. Left point, McCaution holds in. Now right point, Miramanov, a drive, he scores! Daniil Miramanov had all kinds of time from the right point, and he steps into a blast over the shoulder of UC Antonin, and the Henderson Silver Knights have a 3-2 lead. Daniil Miramanov, two goals and four points in the first two games of the season from the blue line. His goal on Friday in the opener was the first goal of his AHL career, and he has not looked back from there. Again, talking to Gary Lawless on Sunday, one of the impressive things about Miramanov is he's not just shooting for the sake of shooting. Uh, that, that seems like a s- simplistic analysis, <laughs> but for some defenders, you know, the, the key for shots from the point is, sure, you want to score goals if the opportunity arises but more often than not if that's going to happen it's going to be a seeing eye shot you're trying to shoot not necessarily to score but to create rebounds or to shoot for sticks or just to to miss that first shot blocker and get past that first wave to get in front and uh, you know whatever it caroms off of can make something happen that is not Daniil Miramanov's approach when he shoots he's shooting to score goals uh, and when there's power play room like he had on Sunday, that's an easier task. But even when there's not, you know, we're talking about two goals in two games. He hit two posts as well. He'll step aside. He'll take his time almost like uh, I often think for a defenseman at the blue line, it's like being a quarterback. Some quarterbacks are stationary and stagnant. Some of them can roll the pocket. That's what Daniil Marimanov kind of does. When he gets the puck at the blue line, he rolls the pocket. He'll change the angle, two or three steps left, two or three steps right, and he's trying to not only get away from that first checker, he's trying to find an angle where he can shoot for a corner, shoot for open space, shoot for twine. Uh, And I think the mobility that he has, and that's something that Jamie Heward talked about after the game on Sunday, his pass, formerly a forward, transitioning to defense, you can still very much see the elements of his game that that attribute to that puck-moving ability, 
uh, and that instinct, that sense where his first thought isn't always past. His first thought is, let me take two or three strides and see what it creates for myself. Uh, and, and we saw a lot of that over the weekend, and, and that's dynamic. And, and for he and Ian McCaution, who had a really good weekend after not playing in game action since March 26th of last year, that was a really good pairing. And uh, I think for Daniil Miramanov, having the stability defensively of Ian McCaution with him is helpful. Uh, but a lot of ice time for those two uh, while the Silver Knights are without the likes of Caden Korzak, Zach Hayes, Derek Pouliot, uh, a couple of whom might be able to work their way back into the lineup at some point this week. Uh, you, know, you know, it was going to be a lot of opportunity to, to ride Miramanov and Makashin, and boy, did Daniil Miramanov uh, make the most of that opportunity. Well, we're going to hop out. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the Silver Knights, their need to start limiting chances. That is something that they need to start doing uh, as opposed to what they managed against Colorado, who did throw a lot of rubber at Logan Thompson, who got his first two wins of the season. Um, and we'll take a peek at silver and gold. The Silver Knights now making a difference on the ice of T-Mobile Arena. That's straight ahead on HSK Today. Brian McCormick here with you on 1230 The Game, the Silver Knights Radio Network. A man become preeminent. He's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Brian McCormick. Back on HSK Today, Brian McCormick here with you. Uh, for the Henderson Silver Knights, they get set to take on the Abbotsford Canucks on Friday and Sunday at Abbotsford Center, and for the Canucks, uh, not a bad start for the Abbotsford Canucks, who are 1-1-1 one, uh, one, one and one through their first three games, coming off an overtime loss to the Ontario Reign on Tuesday, a 4-3 loss. Martin Furk had the overtime winner there. Uh, but the Canucks have been playing tight games. They've already had two of their first three games go uh, beyond regulation and a three-game road trip to, to open the season before uh, their home opener on, on Friday. The Silver Knights will be a part of the first Abbotsford Canucks home game in their franchise history. And uh, we expect a, a full building uh, to whatever extent, whatever capacity that uh, Abbotsford is allowed to have with uh, the COVID restrictions that are still in place there. So there'll be a lot of excitement at Abbotsford Center. Uh, and for the Henderson Silver Knights, when they do hit the ice, it's it's you know it's hard to make evaluations, and we're going to talk more about this later on in the program uh, when we talk about a little bit of the the NHL news of uh, of the day. You don't want to read too much into the first three games, first two games. It's it's not it's not fair, especially in the American Hockey League where you face the same team probably the first couple of times. Certainly the case for the Silver Knights. You know, are we to put too much stock in the fact that the Silver Knights gave up 45-plus shots in two straight games? Or do the Colorado Eagles just generate a lot of shots? Maybe if maybe a month from now, that's what we'll come away saying. Like, oh, well, no wonder Colorado did that. They, they average 40 shots a night. That's just the style they play. It's going to be interesting, I think, to see how the Silver Knights uh, fare against an Abbotsford Canucks team that really did their best. I should say the Vancouver Canucks did their best in the offseason to stock up on free agents, not just to help their NHL club, but very evidently 
they were planning for the AHL team in Abbotsford. They got a lot of veterans, a lot of AHL plus players uh, to stock that roster. So for the Silver Knights, one thing they need to do is they, they do want to start locking down and limiting the chances that they're giving up. Not just in terms of pucks towards the net, but also situationally, way too many penalties for the Silver Knights in their first two games. That's something that they need to get under control. And assistant coach Joe Ward spoke a little bit about that during the week at practice. Here's what Joe Ward had to say. Well, we really believe in our systems. I think if we execute our systems it's uh, and we defend well and execute our breakouts, uh, regardless of who we're playing against, I think we give ourselves a really good chance in, in shutting down our opponents. So um, it's more on us, I think, to execute as opposed to against regardless of who we're playing against. Uh, if we hammer those our details out and our rules and, and having good sticks, uh, we give ourselves a good chance. And we had success with it last year and, and hopefully again this year. It's just getting everyone with the timing and just buying on the, getting on the same page. And, you know, that would come over time with chemistry. So, so far it's been, uh, you know, we had a decent start, of course, of winning. And, but we definitely got to hone that area down, especially in our defensive zone. So for the Silver Knights, again, it's it's going to be a matter of, of making those adjustments. And and as it as more players come into the lineup, and again, I think the expectation is they're going to get a little bit healthier uh, over the next few days, perhaps even impacting this weekend. Uh, Derek Pouliot could very well make his Silver Knights debut soon. Caden Korzak, uh, Peter Dilibatori all seem like they're getting closer to coming back into the phase, and Zach Hayes might need a little bit longer than that. Uh, but this is a team that's going to gradually get back uh, to, to, I don't want to say full strength, but semi-full strength. You know, the, the likes of Jake Bischoff, Reed Duke, Alan Quine, who signed an AHL deal over the, over the course of the summer. Uh, those players still a, a little bit further off. But uh, for, for the Silver Knights, I've said this already, it's probably good news for them, as, as glass half full as this might sound. Probably good news for them that as the year goes on, they're going to get stronger. Would you rather in the beginning of the season, especially when every team is kind of finding themselves and imperfect, would you rather that be when you were missing guys and then you gain players and get stronger as the year goes on, almost like having two or three trade deadlines flood talent into your lineup? Or would you rather have a full-strength lineup, suffer through the same growing pains and early season uncertainties as everyone else, and then have injuries impact your lineup, and you find yourself 15 games into the season at 500, and now you've lost talent. You know, again, that's a it's a <laughs> a hypothetical choice. Um, but for the Silver Knights, they they're two and zero. They found ways to win while da- while hurt. Uh, they found ways to win while the VGK is hurt, drawing players out of the lineup. Uh, and you know, for, for the Silver Knights, they're they're managing uh, and should only see their roster improve. Uh, In the meantime, the Vegas Golden Knights have been utilizing some HSK talents. Uh, And let's take a closer look at that with our edition today of Silver and Gold. Silver and gold, silver and gold. Everyone wishes for silver and gold. Anderson Silver Knights sent Peyton Krebs and Jake LeCision back to the Vegas Golden Knights uh, during the week, and both uh, Peyton Krebs and Jake LeCision were in the lineup for the Golden Knights on Wednesday when they took on uh, the St. Louis Blues. Jake LeCision played uh, just a hair over 10 minutes, was uh, 75% uh, on the faceoff dots and blocked two shots, also got some 
Uh, penalty kill time for Pete DeBoer as well. Uh, for Peyton Krebs, a minus one on Wednesday. He played just over 11 minutes. Uh, and again, for both of those teams, it's going to be a matter of uh, try, you know, trying to, to learn the NHL game and just be defensively responsible players. And you know, for Peyton Krebs, I think there'll be a little bit more uh, emphasis on what he can do from a playmaking you know, perspective, but he wants to play a defensive game that Pete DeBoer can trust that keeps him on the ice. For Jake Lecision, you know, I, th- I think it's it's a, it's a question I'd almost be curious to ask someone like, well, well, I think Pete DeBoer would be the perfect person to ask if uh, if I were in the position to do so. You know, is it easier or harder, or neither, for a Jake Lecision to jump into an NHL lineup than perhaps a Peyton Krebs? And, and here's where I'm going with that. It's... It's hard to score goals. It's hard to contribute on an NHL power play, especially when you're a young player just cutting your teeth in the NHL game. So for Peyton Krebs to go from the Winnipeg Ice, even to the Silver Knights, to the National Hockey League, players are bigger, their reach is longer, the rink gets smaller, things develop faster. All challenges when you're trying to create I would imagine, I would imagine that for a player like Jake LeCision, whose offensive game is coming along at the uh, AHL level, but has always been a very good defensive, lockdown, grinding forward. He's a shutdown guy. You put him on the other team's best. Uh, he's not pricing the other team's best as you know with the uh, with Pete DeBoer and the, and the Vegas Golden Knights just yet. He's not ready for that in his career. But when he's playing his best, he's doing the simple things right, the fundamental things right. I wonder if it's if it's more realistic, if it's more of a fair ask to ask a player to do the simple things, do the things you're naturally good at, stay on the right side of the puck, uh, and and work hard and be be hard to play against, quote unquote, than asking someone who on their best night we're used to seeing put up two or three points to go out of the NHL and like, okay, for you to be impactful, for you to be the best version of you, go out and put up some points. It's probably a little easier to ask Jake LeCision to be peak Jake LeCision than to ask Peyton Krebs to go out there and be, uh, you know, the the statistical equivalent of what we're used to seeing Peyton Krebs be. I'd be interested to ask what the coaching staff, uh, or, you know, what the, what the philosophy on that is. Now, again, both of these players are working to be the best version of themselves to reach their potential in a perfect world i bet pete DeBoer hopes that jake lecision's you know right a regular night for jake lecision in the nhl is 18 minutes on the ice a plus two rating and maybe a point or two here and there and for peyton krebs it'll be that he's pushing to be a 60 plus point player per season for his career that would be, you know, that would be a fair bar to set for both of them to try to exceed. But here in the early, early going, when they're learning the, the game and the coaching staff is learning when they can trust them and utilize them, I'd just be curious, on, on day one, who, who, has, uh, in, who has a more natural list of expectations for themselves to be satisfied at the end of the game? Interesting to see, but both players had similar ice time on Wednesday when they face St. Louis, and uh, the way things are health-wise for the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, you have to imagine that both of those players probably going to see uh, a little bit more NHL time to come.
We are going to step aside. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of Abbotsford and how that uh, team has been put together. Sven Berchi, a former member of the Abbotsford Heat, he can lend a little bit of uh, intel on what it's like to play in that British Columbian city. Uh, and then we'll talk uh, the, the well some of the fun stories in the National Hockey League. I guess kind of a, uh, a, a one-man version of uh, what Ryan Wallace and Darren Millard do with slap shots. We'll, we'll give that a try. Brian McCormick here with you on HSK Today, enjoying a Thursday afternoon before the weekend against Abbotsford. You're listening to the Silver Knights Radio Network. You know, the Henderson Silver Knights are excited to welcome you back for season number two and single-game luxury suite packages for four or more guests. And group ticketing options are available for all home games at the Orleans Arena. The town crier, Harold is his name, Lucky, the mascot, and the rest of the HSK team can't wait to see you. Visit HendersonSilverKnights.com for more information. HendersonSilverKnights.com Well, we are getting ready for the weekend in Abbotsford, and uh, I mentioned at the start of the show, maybe you're just joining us, and you say, boy, Brian's talking a lot tonight. Well, there's a reason. Uh, We did pre-record the show just because right now... uh, in, in the reality in which I'm not coming through your radio, I'm probably uh, traveling on a bus somewhere between Seattle and uh, the Canadian border, perhaps. So the team is traveling, so we made sure to, to hop on the air and uh, get you some HSK talk on your Thursday afternoon. But it is entirely possible, entirely possible, that some earth-shattering news has broken somewhere during the day. And you're thinking, why is Brian not addressing it? Well, that's, that is the reason why, but... Uh, as things stand now, I am preparing to pack for Abbotsford, uh, and we're looking at, I think, mid-50s and rain, like 90% chance of rain for the entire weekend in Abbotsford. So uh, I've never been to Abbotsford. I don't know what it has to offer, but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to see much of it this weekend. What I will see uh, is, I imagine, a pretty raucous atmosphere at Abbotsford Center as they get ready for the first Abbotsford Canucks game in the uh, history of that franchise, of course, not the first hockey that we've ever seen in Abbotsford. The Abbotsford Heat uh, played their home games at Abbotsford Center not too long ago, and uh, a member of that team was Sven Berchi, and he talked to us a little bit about, well, what it was like for the first go-around in Abbotsford. Here's what Sven Berchi had to say. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I think a lot of things have changed there in Abbotsford. Uh, really quiet town when I was there. Uh, not much really going on at the time, but I think it's uh, it's become a popular place, and I think for you know for Vancouver's organization, I thought it was a no-brainer to have the team there because you know we were Calgary's team and we had no fans. Obviously, everybody was cheering against us, but at the time when Chicago Wolves were Vancouver's team, when they came to town, it was sold out, and the f- people around there wanted to see their prospects play. And so great that they have the team there, and I think it's going to be it's going to be pretty cool going back because that's exactly where I started and um, doing the lockout year then and. You know, uh, that's where I have my first few pro games, so I definitely enjoyed it. And that was Sven Berchi. The Abbotsford Heat played just five seasons between 2009 and 2014 uh, in Abbotsford. And uh, mixed results, made the playoffs three times, never got past the second round, not in the playoffs twice. Uh, and attendance was was middling. I I wasn't there, of course, but the uh, as you heard, uh, Sven reference there for the uh, Abbotsford is British Columbia, 
That is Canucks country. That is why it is a very uh, sensible pairing for the Canucks to bring their affiliate to Abbotsford. When the Calgary Flames had their affiliate in Abbotsford, well, there weren't that many people in Abbotsford who were uh, craving to see the Calgary Flames prospects. They wanted to see Canucks prospects. So when the Wolves came to town, that's when the place was packed. Otherwise, there was probably a little less interest. Uh, You know, no different than probably if the San Jose Sharks were to put their uh, affiliate in Summerlin. Like, okay, it's hockey and that's all well and good, but these aren't the kids that we want to see. So, uh, you know, I anticipate that when we see Friday Friday night's crowd, uh, it's going to be not only an enthusiastic bunch, but uh, a city that's, that's wanted a team like this for quite some time. So we'll see what the city of Abbotsford has to offer. What uh, the city of Vancouver had to offer on uh, in the middle of July when free agency struck was was, well, they had a lot of talent in store for Abbotsford. 17 signings on the first day of free agency for Vancouver Canucks, and a lot of it geared towards uh, the Abbotsford Canucks. So, you know, we'll talk a little bit about uh, what this Abbotsford roster has looked like over the course of the first few games. Again, the Canucks won one and one through their three-game season opening road trip. Um, Looking at the... The impactful players for Abbotsford thus far, I, I think the ones that, that jump out at you is, again, these these players that were added or retained by the Canucks uh, to put in Abbotsford to make them a good team. It, it just looks from the, the deals they made, the decisions they made, it was definitely important to the, to the Canucks that this team be good that this team be competitive right away. And we've talked about that before. As a matter of fact, George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon talked about it last year when the Henderson Silver Knights had their inaugural season and the importance of adding the right veterans, your Patrick Browns, your Danny O'Regans, your Dylan Securas, your your Carl Dahlstroms. You know, it, it was important to to bring in players that can cultivate not just the talent and, and be good role models for the young, you know, rookies and, and prospects, but you know, people that could help forge a winning culture as well. That was important. So looking at what uh, Abbotsford has added, you know, you've got Justin Bailey, who's been in the mix for a little while in the Vancouver organization. I think this is his uh, this is his second year. Uh, well, actually third. Last year he spent most of his season with the taxi squad, never played really in Utica, but he's been in the mix for Vancouver for uh, now, you know, two-plus years, and he's played about 270 American Hockey League games and been uh, pretty much a you know point every other game type player over the course of his career so he's one of the more significant weapons for Abbotsford but some of the other new players brought in uh, Phil DiGiuseppe might be the most noteworthy a player who's through his years last year was with uh, with with the Rangers in New York but before that Carolina a little bit in Nashville and Milwaukee Uh, I I want to say Phil DiGiuseppe I think he's played 200 NHL games and then uh, a similar number to that uh, in the American Hockey League. But as Vegas has dealt with injuries, well, Vegas isn't the only team that's dealt with injuries. And Vancouver's had their fair share of Knicks early on as well. And that's why if you look at some of the additions that that the Canucks made probably with Abbotsford in mind, you're Justin Dowling's, you're Kyle Burrows. Kyle Burrows is the captain in uh, Bridgeport two years ago uh, and spent a, a decent chunk of last year in Colorado. You know, those players right now, they're they're up 
with with the uh, with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, even a you know a borderline could go either way player like Matthew Highmore, who spent significant time uh, in Rockford over the last couple of years, right now is with the big club in Vancouver. So, you know, th- there's there's players that I think probably were brought in. I'm not going to say necessarily automatically with with Abbotsford in mind, but definitely your your tweeners, your AHL plus players. Uh, that haven't even factored in for this Abbotsford team yet, but they have had contributions from Justin Bailey, from Sheldon Dries, who's been a very good AHL player for the last couple of years, uh, both in the Dallas organization and the Colorado Avalanche organization. 88 points in 166 career AHL games for Sheldon Dries. Uh, he's a dangerous player to watch and a, a top-line AHL player. Um, and, uh, you know, so so th- this is a, a an Abbotsford team that yeah, I don't know if you have any true expansion teams in the American Hockey League because there's so much turnover year in and year out uh, with, uh, you know, not just what organizations do from a prospect perspective, but, you know, veterans jumping from place to place and trying to find a path to the National Hockey League. So it's not like an expansion team in the AHL uh, has the same expectations uh, of expansion teams in the National Hockey League with the exception of Vegas at this point. Um, having said that, this was a, a Vancouver team that definitely made an effort to get uh, talented and also impactful AHL players uh, to Abbotsford. Noah Juleson falls under that uh, list as well. But perhaps the most exciting player to consider, uh, at least in the early going for Vancouver, is Danila Klimovic, uh, who has two goals in three games for the Canucks, Klimovich was the uh, second-round pick for the Vancouver Canucks in 2021, uh, 41st overall out of uh, Belarus. Uh, and, of course, because he's uh, European, it doesn't matter whether he's 20 or not, like it does for Canadian junior players. He's able to come over to the American Hockey League right away. So it might have been a surprising decision a little bit when Vancouver decided that Klimovich was going to start in Abbotsford, but so far so good. He has two goals in three games and has been uh, a dynamic player for Abbotsford through their first three contests. So uh, Danilo Klimovic, uh, a player that I'm sure we'll get a look at this weekend uh, with, the, with the Abbotsford Canucks. So uh, it'll be a fun weekend. There's, there's a lot of skill, a lot of talent. Uh, Nick Patan just sent down from Vancouver to Abbotsford today. That makes them stronger still. Uh, it's going to be a, a tough, a tough challenge for the Henderson Silver Knights uh, this weekend, especially having not entirely gotten back to a hundred percent themselves. Uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on their progress throughout the week uh, against a uh, an Abbotsford team. That this will be the only trip to Canada during the regular season for the Silver Knights. Abbotsford will visit the Silver Knights uh, at the Orleans Arena. That will be in the middle of December. Well, we said we'd take a look around the hockey news, and uh, we will do that, but we'll take a quick break before we do so. On this young man has had a very trying rookie season. What with the litigation, the notoriety, his subsequent deportation to Canada, and that country's refusal to accept him. Ryan McCormick.
wrapping things up on HSK today, and uh, Thursday for the Henderson Silver Knights is a travel day. They get ready to take on the Abbotsford Canucks in Abbotsford tomorrow. Well, we said we are going to go around uh, NHL news, and we will. And before we get to some of the fun back-and-forth stuff, we'll uh, touch on the somber, as there was sad news reported uh, in the NHL this week. Mike Bossy has announced that he has lung cancer. Uh, and he is stepping away from, uh, he was working as an analyst for TVA Sports. Uh, Mike Bossy, 64. Uh, and just reading through the uh, the statement that that he uh, gave after the announcement, uh, the line that stands out is, uh, quote, I can tell you that I intend to fight with the determination and enthusiasm that you have seen me display on the ice and in my game, the same determination that helped me achieve my dreams and my goals, the one that propelled me to the top of my sport when I was still playing. So all the best for Mike Bossy that he's able to recover. Uh, Mike Bossy, of course, has uh, one of the, I think one of the most fascinating careers in National Hockey League history uh, in terms of its uh, astronomical success and its brevity. Uh, Mike Bossy played 10 seasons for the New York Islanders. And in 10 seasons, he played 752 games, scored 573 goals, and had 1,126 points. 1,126 points in 752 games. Mike Bossy's career is uh, prolific on its own. Four Stanley Cups and uh, scored 50 goals in 50 games and uh, very few accolades that he does not have, but... Uh, ended his career after 10 seasons because of uh, chronic back issues that he was suffering through. He is certainly one of those players. When you talk about your uh, your Lemieux and your Gretzkys and your Messiers and you know the 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 you build out your your Mount Rushmore of hockey scorers, and uh, it's it's hard to imagine what a fully healthy Mike Bossy would have been able to do. Again, for perspective, he scored 53 goals in his rookie season. There was only one season in his career, one, where he didn't crack 50 goals. It was his last season. In his last season before retiring because of chronic back issues, he had 38 goals and 75 points in 63 games, retiring in 1987. His swan song was 75 points in 63 games. Uh, hard to Hard to comprehend what a fully healthy Mike Bossy would have done, and we certainly wish him a speedy recovery as he battles lung cancer. Well, I haven't left myself a whole lot of time uh, to talk about some of the fun, so I'm just going to set this up, and if, if Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace haven't had these conversations already, then uh, maybe I'll, I'll spur them towards it. Uh, for, for the National Hockey League, what an interesting start to the year we've had, uh, and I wonder, you know, some of the surprising stories. Who's more surprising to you? Is it Detroit, the Detroit Red Wings uh, or the 3-0 and Buffalo Sabres? The Detroit Red Wings are 2-0-1, oh, uh, the Buffalo Sabres undefeated through their first three games. Now, Buffalo has had uh, the benefit of playing games against Arizona and uh, and Montreal. Or the Montreal Canadiens have had a horrible start to the season. Uh, but for the Arizona Coyotes, they've had a bit of a bumpy go of it as well. Uh, Sabres, I think, have benefited from the schedule a bit for Detroit. You know, I don't think they're going to go 2-0. I don't think they're going to be uh, a powerhouse in that division, but... Uh, I think the Atlantic might be a little weaker than we think it is. 
Looking at Tampa Bay, they've taken a little bit of a step back. They haven't had the best goaltending from Andre Vasilevsky in the first couple of games. Uh, Boston, I think, will probably self-correct, but I think they've also probably taken a little bit more of a, a hit with the absence of David Krejci than maybe people will realize at this point. Uh, Montreal's looked terrible in their first handful of games, uh, and they've lost uh, significant talent that is is leading them in that direction, losing uh, Jesper Kokaniemi, losing... Uh, Shea Weber, uh, Christian Dvorak being added is helpful, but it, it's definitely a Montreal team that is uh, probably going to have to have a bit of a reevaluation year after last year's surprise cup run. But, I mean, if you look at the Atlantic, Florida is probably the best team in the, Amer- in, in the National League, Hockey League right now. Florida is just extraordinarily well-balanced. Uh, they have scoring. They have uh, a defense that, you know, you could say Brandon Montour might be their fourth best defenseman. That's a pretty good team if that's the case. And Spencer Knight, of course, has been a, a, f- a phenom already in his young career uh, behind the likes of Barkov and Huberdo. It's, it's just a really solid team for Florida. Toronto has a lot of talent, but I think the same question marks they've always had are going to persist. If you look at the three biggest surprises in, that, in the NHL in the Eastern Conference right now, it's probably f- uh, Buffalo, Detroit, and 2-1 and one Ottawa. So to what extent is that just a good start for them? Or is that the fact that they've uh, had a chance to play in a, a division where some of the better teams haven't really gotten out of the blocks all that well? Uh, ju- just as we said, there's some teams that we expected to be in the basement who have had a good week. And again, we're not going to over-evaluate three days of hockey, but it's fun to think about. Uh, on the other end, you have Boston, so-so start. The Islanders, who everyone had winning the East, uh, they've gotten out of the blocks very slowly, although they had a pretty convincing win over Chicago the other night. Maybe that's their uh, first step in the right direction. Uh, Calgary has had a challenging start. You know, I, I think I think for the, the Atlantic division, is maybe had the potential where for Florida and Tampa, they could run all over the Detroit's, Toronto's, and Ottawa's, but... You know, maybe the lesson we're learning here is that while they're not going to be good yet, maybe they will be, but they don't necessarily scream ready to win type teams. You know, Detroit and Ottawa that have so much youth maybe starting to turn the corner a little bit. Uh, I think the Atlantic's going to watch. I think that I think the Metropolitan is your best division right now in the Metropolitan, where Pittsburgh looking like they have every reason to to fall flat coming out of the gate are 2-0-2. The Flyers with Cam Atkinson look terrific. Uh, the Rangers and, and Hurricanes and Devils all look like they have the potential to be pesky. Uh, and the Islanders have had a rough start, but uh, you have to imagine once they get their feet under them, they're going to right themselves as well. So, uh, you know, really exciting start to the NHL season. Lots of mystery. Again, it's been three or four games, so we can't over-evaluate it. But good to see uh, the teams that are the doormats for the last couple of years showing a little bit of spark and spunk in the first couple of games. Uh, Well, that's going to do it for me today. A lot of talking, a lot of yapping, but I appreciate you guys joining in for this pre-recorded edition of HSK Today. We'll be on the air for pregame coverage on Friday night, 6.30 pregame for approximately a 7 o'clock puck drop with the opening ceremonies in Abbotsford. might be a little bit later than that, but we look forward to having you join us for the first road trip of the season for the Henderson Silver Knights. I'm Brian McCormick. We'll see you next week on HSK Today.